On the tenth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me ten lords a-leaping. Once upon a time, there was a king who had only one son. When his son was about twenty, the king took it into his head to fight a war against one of his neighbours, and to lead his troops into battle himself. He left his son as regent over his kingdom, but told his son not to marry, or even think of marriage, until his father returned. The prince agreed, and waved his father goodbye as he went off to war. Five years passed, and the prince ruled well over the kingdom. In all those five years, his mind never once turned to marriage. But his lords and counsellors had begun to think that perhaps the young prince should think about matrimony. It was the law of that land that when the eldest son of the king wed, he would ascend to the throne of his father. The lords began to wheedle and whisper, and after another five years, the prince decided that yes, he should start looking for a bride. His father had been gone ten long years, and he himself was not getting any younger. The lords clapped and applauded at his decision, and they all set off in a great retinue, seeking out a suitable princess to become their queen. They travelled about with no fixed direction, and soon they found themselves in the camp of the old king. The king was delighted to see his son, but when he heard that the prince was seeking a wife, he became furious. You may go where you will, but if you go seeking a wife, none of my people shall go with you. And suddenly, all of those lords, who had been so pleased and eager for the prince to go out and find a wife, were now standing behind the old king, nodding their heads at his sage judgment. The prince was also angered, and so he replied, Yes, I will go and find myself a wife, even if I have to go alone. And he stormed out of his father's camp with only the clothes on his back. None of the fine lords followed him. They could tell which way the wind blew, and they knew on which side their bread was buttered. But one did follow him, one faithful servant, who had enough wit to pack up some of the prince's belongings and take his own horse as well as the prince's. He followed after the prince and soon caught up with him. And so, master and man, rode off into the next kingdom. News had travelled ahead that the young prince was seeking a bride, and he and his servant were soon invited to the palace of the king and queen of that country. The prince was intelligent, charming, and a good conversationalist. He was one of the most convivial guests that the king or queen had ever had to their palace, and when one of their daughters said that she was in love with the prince, they happily let her take him as her husband. A great wedding feast was held, and when all the ceremony and celebration was done, the prince and his new bride prepared to travel back to his kingdom so that another equally fine celebration could be held there. Before they came to the border between the two kingdoms, they chose to rest for a night in an inn. All slept soundly, all but the faithful servant who had followed his prince. He found he could not sleep, and so he sat up all night, sitting by the window, watching the stars and waiting till dawn. And as he sat waiting till dawn, he overheard the conversation of the birds. Three crows had landed on the roof above his head and were chattering away to each other. What a beautiful couple, said one to the other, and I am certain they shall make a beautiful breakfast. Indeed, replied its neighbour, for the prince's father is still angry with him, so angry that he has had his men secretly damage the posts that support the bridge which they must cross tomorrow. When they cross in their carriage, it shall break. And whoever overhears and tells what we have said, he shall be turned to stone up to his knees. The crows chuckled to it themselves, clearly anticipating a royal breakfast. But if by some miracle they survive the bridge, they shall still make an excellent lunch. For the king is to send them a carriage, 
a carriage that, though it is all painted fine and gilded in gold, shall fall to pieces when they go around the steep curve on the rocky ridge, and may any who overhears and tells of this be turned to stone up to his waist. Again the crows chuckled and laughed to themselves, and finally the third spoke, And if, somehow, they avoid the dangers of the bridge and that of the king's carriage, they shall make us an excellent roast dinner, for the king shall send them two golden robes, that his son may enter his own land in a proper state. Once they have donned the robes, they shall each burst into flames, and may any who has overheard and tells of this be turned to stone from his feet to his head. The three crows laughed and then flew away, eagerly anticipating their meal upon the prince and princess. The servant, though, was most perturbed. How was he to warn his master and keep him safe without having himself turned into stone? He paced about, trying to think of some plan, some clever scheme. The rest of the party began to wake up, and over breakfast they all started to discuss the dreams they'd had that night, and this gave the faithful servant an idea. When his master asked him how he had slept the night, he said, Oh, my lord, I slept very badly, for I have had terrible dreams, dreams and premonitions of doom. Pray, my lord, will you make me a promise that will set my worries aside? Will you promise that I may be in charge of all our travels until you are safely home? The prince did not believe in dreams or omens, but he promised his faithful servant that if it would put his mind at rest, he could be in charge of all the travel that was remaining to them. It would only be a day's more travel until they were at the prince's home. The servant thanked his master many, many times over. They set off with their wagons and coaches, for the princess's family had given them many wedding gifts. When they came to the bridge that crossed the river, the servant called for them to halt. I think the wheels on this carriage are not quite right. Let us leave the carriages, load all our goods onto the horses, and then ride a little upstream. There is a town on the other side of the river not far from here, and the river broadens out and becomes so shallow that the horses can easily walk through it. The prince could see nothing wrong with the carriage wheels, but he had promised his servant, and so they all got out of the carriages, loaded their goods up onto the horses, and rode downstream. Just as the servant had said, the river broadened out and became shallow enough that the horses could cross it easily. There was a town upon the other side of the river, and they were easily able to get a new carriage and continue on their journey. When they had travelled for a few more miles, they were met by a messenger of the old king. He had with him a beautiful carriage gilded in gold, which he said was a gift so that the young couple could arrive in style. Before the prince and princess could get into it, though, the servant jumped down and began to inspect it. Indeed, it is smart as paint, but I think paint is all that is smart about it. He gave the carriage a mighty kick and revealed that the wood beneath the paint was rotten to the core. And so the royal couple continued their travel in the carriage they had bought in the town by the river. When they had travelled a few more miles and were within sight of the city walls, they were again stopped by messengers from the king. This time they held out two beautiful golden robes, gifts from the king, so that the young couple might arrive in style. The servant, though, leapt down and begged the prince not to touch the robes, to have nothing to do with them and have them destroyed. He made such a fuss that the prince decided that it would be simpler just to destroy the robes. And the faithful servant breathed a sigh of relief, for he had kept his master safe without having himself turned into stone as a consequence. When the king saw his son had arrived safely, he was furious that all of his attempts had failed and that now that his son was wed, he would have to give up his throne, as was the law. He could not imagine how his son had evaded all of the dangers. And that night, over dinner, he asked his son and daughter-in-law 
how their journey had been. The journey was very fine, replied the princess, the king's daughter-in-law, but we would have got her a good deal sooner if that servant had not made such a fuss. What servant? asked the king. What fuss? Why, replied the princess, he was forever stopping to check the wheels of the carriage and made us change carriages so that we did not cross over the bridge. When you sent that lovely gift of the gilded carriage to us, he would not let us board it. And then again, when you sent those two beautiful golden robes, he kicked up such a fuss that my dear husband was forced to destroy the robes before we could continue our journey. When the king heard that it was on account of the faithful servant that his son had avoided all of the dangers, his mind became filled with ways to exact his revenge. He called for all of his lords and counsellors. He said that for the destruction of the royal gifts, he wished to condemn the servant to death. The lords and counsellors all nodded and agreed with the king, and so the poor, faithful servant was condemned to death. The next day a gallows was built in the castle courtyard, and the poor, faithful servant was led out, a blindfold about his eyes, and his wrists bound together with rope. He was marched up the scaffold, and just as the noose was being placed around his neck, he called out, might he not be allowed a few last words? The king nodded. A few last words could do no harm. Could they? The servant then spoke and told of how, when he was unable to sleep, he had overheard three crows talking, had overheard of the king's treacherous plan. He told of how the bridge the royal party was to cross had been tampered with, so the weight of their carriage would make it fall. But as he spoke this, he began to turn to stone, up to his knees. The prince called out to a servant to stop speaking. He had clearly proven his innocence already, but the servant continued. He told of how the carriage sent by the king had been intended to fall apart as it went over the rocky ridge, and as he spoke this he was turned to stone up to his waist. The prince called out again, imploring his faithful servant not to speak any more. He was innocent of any crime. But the faithful servant continued. He told of how the two golden robes sent by the king to the prince and princess had been enchanted to set the wearer on fire as soon as they were donned. And as he spoke this, the faithful servant was turned to stone all the way up to his head. The old king, on having his plans revealed to all, became so furious with rage that he stamped his foot once and then fell down dead. The prince, who was now the king not only because he had wed, but because his father was dead, was greatly grieved at the loss of his servant. He had the man of stone lifted from the gallows, carried into the palace. He had him placed in a position of honour on a plinth of gold, high above the heads of all those faithless lords. The new king ruled wisely, but from that day he almost never smiled. His wife, the new queen, wrote to her godmother, who was a very wise woman, asking what might be done. Her godmother wrote back that the only way to lift the king's sorrow was to turn the man of stone, the faithful servant, into a man of flesh again, and that there was only one person in all the world who would know how this might be accomplished. This was lucky luck. When the Queen told this to her husband, he had once decided that he would go out and he would not rest, not until he had found lucky luck, not until he had turned his faithful servant from stone back into flesh. But the story of the King's search for lucky luck, well, that is a story that will have to wait for another time.